For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Bienvenidos. Welcome to episode 33 of the Believe Next podcast. I'm Matthew Miranda joined, as always, by Stacey Patton. Stacey, it's our 33rd episode, which, of course, brings to mind Patrick Ewing. Um, I, I love what... how it brings to your mind Patrick Ewing and not Jesus Christ. That's <laughs> that's how I know we're friends. So <laughs> I, I was raised as a Christian, but I escaped. And, um, and yeah, I definitely, for me, 33 is the big fella. Um, the big fella <laughs> down here, maybe not the big fella up there. Um, so I'm curious um, if there are any individual plays you remember watching Patrick Ewing perform that just stands out to you as like, where you were like, holy shit. Because Ewing was not like the highlight real. He wasn't quite a highlight real guy the way that other people were. He wasn't as athletic as uh, Shaq or Robinson or Olajuwon. Um, but he had, he had some, he had some memorable moments. Um, I got a million of them. I'm curious. Any that stand out to you? Um, it was the overall solidarity to me, to be honest. Hmm. Um, I mean, I was a kid watching Ewing. Um, so I remember the dunk he had on Rodman. That was pretty nuts. Yes. That's where he took um, off and like, that was the, where he got like a steal at half court. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, it meant so much more against, it meant so much more being against yeah. the Bulls. So that's a play I remember. Um, but I also just remembered, like, he was to me, he was our Tim Duncan, right? He mm-hmm. just the, the, just the consistency. Um, and I guess, like, yeah, maybe it was, it was because I was a kid, but like, I tend to remember more in terms of elite individual plays, mm. things that Spreewell did, you mm. know, the, the dunks, Starks, right. uh, obviously Larry Johnson's shot. But if I had to name one play from Ewing, it was that Rodman dunk. But I almost feel like that's he was so much more than that. And I, I think that me saying this is not to say he didn't have an amazing plays, but it was like he was the not just the backbone of that team. He was the backbone, the heart, the lungs of a team that... um. I mean, you have to wonder, right? Like, what if, you know, Hakeem got Clyde Drexler on his team? If Ewing did, you know, maybe we're talking about him winning the title. I'm not saying Ewing was as good as Hakeem Olajuwon. Um, my other co-host, Shwini, would probably disagree with that. Uh, he's would have Ewing over Olajuwon? I would not have Ewing over Olajuwon. Shwin would? I think if Ewing got to play with Clyde Drexler, what? Did you say Schwinn? Has Ewing over Olajuwon? No, I'm saying Schwinn thinks Olajuwon is like the best center ever. Oh, over like Kareem and stuff. Which no, I have no, to say no. he's made a pretty good he's made a pretty good case for it. Um, and I, I mean, <coughs> when I was when I got into basketball, the two best that there were three players who were by far better than anyone else when I because um, I got into basketball when I was. 
five or six, so really 95, 96. And um, it was, Jordan was, everyone was talking about it. I mean, it's the, I think Jordan was, to me, more famous than um, the president, than Bill Clinton was at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and maybe, maybe LeBron has also been as famous to kids or more famous to kids than any president. I don't know. But um, MJ was just a phenomenon. And then you had Hakeem, who like all of my, I remember like daycare and all that counselors were just like all about Hakeem. <clears throat> and then the third guy was just probably one of the biggest marketing bonanzas of modern basketball. And that's the Shaq. So um, point go, getting back to Ewing, um, I think the dunk on Rodman was great. Um, I think his general defense was great. I still think there's a part of me that if he was healthy in 99, we're probably not beating the Spurs, but... Would have been a lot closer. Yeah. And that's, by the way, how I feel about Mitch and the Hawks. But, you know. What about you? What's your favorite Ewing play? Oh, in 92, in game one against the Bulls, I never saw him do it before, and I never saw him do it again. And I remember I had Little League practice that day, and I... Got home and didn't know what the so you were in the league. Or? Yeah, I was in. Um, I was yeah. I was like ninety two. I was thirteen. Um, so I get home from the game and like we rush to my dad and I rush in to see like what the score is. Kind of excited but also anxious because everyone was predicting that like the Bulls were just going to run over the Knicks and. The Knicks are winning, and in the third quarter, uh, maybe maybe it was in the fourth, it was in the second half. Chicago goes on this big run, and it feels like what you know is coming, like you know what's going to happen. And Ewing got the ball, um, about eighteen feet out with Bill Cartwright on him, and he fucking crossed him over, and went in for a two hand baseline stuff. And I've seen this play, yeah. That was not Patrick Ewing's game. He was not facing you up and using dribble trickery to get past you but it was such a huge it was such a unusual beautiful shot at a critical time in a game that nobody really nobody thought that they would win um that was awesome like that just stood out to me as like that was my guy who just can it, did it can, can i ask can i ask you a question on ewing actually yeah um so when carl anthony towns got drafted one of his biggest comps was Patrick Ewing, actually. Partly because in college he was he was a really good defender. He was projected to be a much better defender than he has been. Mm-hmm. Um, he's offset that by being um, probably the best shooting big man of all time. Um, you know, Derek Nowitzki would probably have something to say about that. But mm-hmm. um, do you think if Ewing played today, he would shoot threes? Maybe he'd be a little bit more of a perimeter. Perimeter oriented. It's accent on that word there. Yeah, out of the old west. Um, yeah, I think Ewing would shoot threes. I think Ewing would be very good shooting threes. One could argue that if he played now, um, it would actually be better for him physically because instead of spending forty-two minutes a game banging down low, getting banged into down low, um, he could he could camp out a bit more on the perimeter. I, I think Ewing would, and I think. <laughs> the town's comparison like works on the level of I think Huey was the greatest shooter shooting big man of his generation. Um and I'm talking like at 
like premier big men. I'm not like there were guys like Terry Mills in the 80s. Lambier comes to mind. Lambier, right? Sam Perkins. These were all bigs um, who shot for the time um, good volume and a high percentage. But Patrick Ewing, um, no one, there was just, there's never been a better efficient volume jump shooting center like Ewing. Towns, you know, I, to me, it's a completely different comparison because of the three, but um, I think Ewing would have been closer to what Towns gives you on offense than Towns would ever be to what Ewing gave you on defense. Even like now or back in the day, if you switch them, I think Ewing would adjust on, on both ends. Towns, I don't know if he would defensively. It was more physical back then. That he might not have liked that. And But defensively, defensively, you know. Now, if I'm correct earlier, did you you sound like you have Olajuwon ahead of Shaq, right? Sorry, I was on mute. Um, that is something I go back and forth on. Yeah. The point in Olajuwon's favor is that um, I think he's the greatest defender that's ever played. Um, I, I wouldn't begrudge you know, people who watched in the 60s that would call Bill Russell that. Mm-hmm. Um, for all the talk of Bill Russell was overmatched maybe against people who played today, he, he held up against um, Will Chamberlain, who had probably 60, 70 pounds on him mm-hmm. and was bigger. That's pretty impressive to mm-hmm. me. Um, but I'm still going to go with Hakeem. Uh, I think I would... Hakeem... <laughs> I, I would love to see Prime Hakeem against Giannis. I think that would be so much fun. Yeah. And I do think would win. But um, Hakeem was Giannis before Giannis. I also think Hakeem would shoot threes today, by the way. Not at volume, maybe, because he was so good in the post. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have Hakeem over Shaq like, by, a, by a spot, though. Like It's probably like seven and eight on my all-time. Um, which is an inch. I have a follow up on this. Uh, we actually discussed this on Pod Strickland today, so I'd be curious to your thoughts on this. Um, because it pertains to another player that's in the spotlight today, um, who played yesterday, and of course, I'm talking about Ardo Porter Jr. and whether he's a top 10 player all time. <laughs> but, um, that's, no, tough. that's a tough that. one. Um, but, um, the thing is, Hakeem and Shaq, Shaq played head-to-head, and the Rockets swept. That is the easy narrative. Right. Look at Shaq's stats from this series. Like, <laughs> nobody nobody was locking up prime Shaq. That I will contend this to this day. I do not think there has been a player in history that was stopping Shaquille O'Neal at his prime when engaged. Um, those are big qualifiers, and that's why he's not the best player of all time. Those are big qualifiers in his prime, which did not last as long as other people's primes. And when engaged, like the guy won one MVP, never led the league in scoring and rebounding, even though he should have every year if he was engaged all the time. But that player, when he cared and he gave a shit, and he was like, nobody's stopping him. Like, I'm talking about Orlando Shaq or LA Shaq, because the thing is, he was 340 in LA. He didn't lose any weight. I mean, he didn't lose any speed, you know, like he was and he could pass and he was really like you hear him talking and on TNT and he sounds really fucking dumb sometimes. 
he was a really smart player. Uh, he's a smart guy. Uh, you know, he just he trolls sometimes. But um, in terms of career accomplishments and, and just how good Hakeem was on defense and how amazing his moves were on offense, I got to give him the edge. If I'd seen it more from Shaq on a consistent basis, I would give Shaq the edge. But, you know, this is really splitting hairs and, and, <laughs> and just that consistency, overall longevity, and who knows? I mean, if Hakeem got to play with Kobe Bryant, I don't know. His best teammate was a passes prime Clyde Drexler. You know, Shaq played with Kobe and D Wade. So, um, you know, yeah, that that's my thoughts on that. But I'll I'll throw it back to you. Um, so I mean, I think what Steph did. Uh, did you watch the the game yesterday? I saw most of the second half. I thought that was one of the greatest performances I've seen. Period. Um, I'm a huge Steph fan. Yeah, me too. Um, and I thought he was amazing. And it wasn't... And I thought that... By the way, just in general, like, these playoffs have been... There's been several series that have gone six or seven games. But it feels like every game is a, a blowout. Yep, totally. So it's like, is this really that... Like, it's a seven-game series. But it's yeah. not... It doesn't feel competitive in the same way, right? This game today, this game yesterday felt like the best of it because we knew coming to the series, you have the narrative of Boston has a defense that, I mean, honestly, I would put them up there with 04 Detroit. I would put them up there with, you know, some of the best Spurs defenses we saw built around Tim Duncan. Um, you know, in the last 20, 25 years, they're, they're that good. I, I, as much as it pains me to say it about Boston. Um, they are really good. Uh, their worst defender is Jalen Brown, who is very good on ball. Um, their worst worst defender in the starting lineup. But even in the backups, like uh, they can they have so much versatility. And then you have that narrative, and then still a, a really good coming into his own top ten player in Jason Tatum. I would say you know maybe you disagree and put him top fifteen. I'd put Jason Tatum top ten. Um, and then you have them going against. Steph Curry, like the singularly like, fuck your defense. I can shoot <laughs> talent of our time, mm-hmm. um, and an aging supporting cast that's still trying to prove how much they have left, and that's just such an interesting clash in terms of narrative. Mm-hmm. And yesterday, I think we saw all of it because I think that Boston. I was rooting. I'm rooting for Golden State in the series, and I'm rooting for Golden State, and I think Boston's going to win. That's where I'm at in this series. Full mm-hmm. disclosure. Mm-hmm. But um, you saw, like, I was rooting for them, and every time it seemed like Golden State would get something going, you know, Derek White hits a three. 34% three-point shooter, Derek White hits a three. Or they get an offensive rebound. Or, you know, Andrew Wiggins or Otto Porter Jr. misses an open three. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. or they would force an extra rotation. Like, Boston is a pain in the ass. They don't give up. I thought they were peak Boston yesterday. And the reason Golden State won was Steph just even the shots Steph was hitting. Yeah. It wasn't like Boston was just losing him because they they're so locked in they don't lose him. But he was just he'd come off two screens and a guy still in his face because they're sending four guys at him, mm-hmm. and he'd hit the shot. Can he do that for two more games? I'm skeptical, and I I still think Boston's going to win this series. But it's just such it was such an amazing clash of styles and. Like this is what the NBA is all about. Like this is what we love about the game, you know. Mm-hmm. I love Steph. Um, I love watching him play. I've been very intrigued by 
something that you that I initially thought of is like, what the hell are they doing? And then beginning to understand why they're doing it and how interesting it is. Even the Celtics have been playing drop coverage on Curry coming off of picks, and <clears throat> I'm sitting at home watching it thinking like, okay, it's weird that you would drop back on Steph Curry. Like, what could possibly? But they're not crazy. Like, what would be the reason for doing that? And well, did you do you know Keith Smith is? Yes. Yeah, Celtics Smith. writer. He had a good he had a good tweet about that. It's like they're actually they would prefer to have him take pull ups than catch and shoots on like relocation. So that's part of it. But yeah, yeah, there's that aspect for Steph, and also um, one of the Celtics was talking about it. I can't remember who. Um, they realized that that basically takes away Draymond's like short role in pass game, and if you take that away from Draymond offensively you know he's a good, good motion passer but like you're taking away his strengths on offense and conceding you know jumpers to, to Seth and it feels to me like a boxing match where you know one team knows that they're younger and probably have more you know endurance at this point and they'll let you keep playing that way knowing that like how often is even Steph I can see Steph having one more of those games in the next three I, I can see it going seven and Steph has like 42 one night or 46 but if they need him to do that two two more times to win against that defense and that team also having a pretty good offense, um, feels to me just like that, that plays right into the Celtics' hands. Yeah, I mean, what I'll say is like I think the the point of like them dropping was like Keith Smith did a really good job of kind of illustrating this and i'm not sure i agree that that this is the right but it almost it illustrates how much of a damned if you do damned if you don't um kind of scenario steph is mm-hmm. um but um you know he was saying that and i think i think it was i don't know if it was wade or butler or someone said this about steph that like they figured out that you know if you're in front of him, he doesn't care if you're if you're contesting and you're right in his face, he'll get he's gonna shoot it over you and make it. Mm-hmm. If you're behind him, it doesn't matter. But if you're to the side of him, that's where it bothers him. Mm. Um, which isn't it? I mean, I don't think the person was looking at data. It was it was a it was a very famous player. I forget who it was. Is Jimmy or Wade are the two names that come to mind? Mm. But it could have been someone else. But it, maybe it was LeBron or someone like that. Um. But, you know, um, what Keith Smith had said was, like, your options, if your options are you have him pull up or you have him spot up, he is a lead at both. Let's not get it twisted. But he's shown the stats, and, like, on, on catch-and-shoot threes, Steph was four for seven. I think this was through three games, which if you've held Steph Curry to three spot-up shots of three games, that's actually a win. Or even seven attempts. Yeah, that's my point, right? Yeah. Like, you only let him take seven attempts. Like, he's going to make them when he gets them. But he was four for seven. That's high percentage. But, like, the the best you can do is just make him not take them. And then on pull-ups, he had taken 30. Now, on pull-up threes, because he's Steph Curry and he's a ridiculous alien, he was 14 for 30 on pull-up threes. Um, but... The math for that works out in saying we'll live with the pull-up three if we have to choose between those two things, right? Which was fascinating. I mean, and it, it really speaks to how great Steph is, right? You're you're choosing between a hyper-efficient op- option and like a slightly less hyper-efficient option. 
Um, but I thought he was fantastic. Um, I, I, I'm interested to see what the Celtics response, but I, it's tough to see him replicating that because um, he did hit a tough, lot of tough shots. And even being Steph Curry, being able to hit it at that level. And they, they it was still a very tight game. And Tatum and Brown combined for one more point than Steph. Or do we think that's going to happen again? I wouldn't bet on that. Um, I thought Boston's game, like I think from a game plan's perspective, I still think they won. Um, and I don't expect Tatum and Brown to shoot as poorly. Um, and I mean, we I talked about this with Schwinn earlier. Like I think, and, and what he was saying is the wild card is probably can Draymond do something on offense? Yep. We've yep. seen him do something on offense. He's done nothing on offense. Like, yeah. Let's, let's yeah. be real. Um, nobody on that team besides Wiggins has given some help, but in the starting lineup, nobody has done anything on offense. Um, and I don't want to take away from Kevon Looney, who like for a big, like <coughs> you compare him to Mitchell Robinson, like he can do things, like he can take a dribble, go under the hoop. Like he has some coordination and ability to like, but he's not adding a ton of offensive. Pun- the one guy who can add offensive punch is pool. But when you play them together, um, you know, that compromises the defense. So the Warriors in a tough spot still, uh, and it's that it's admirable that they won two games because um, I actually think Boston is is clearly the better team. But you know the the Warriors have that guy who, um, and I'll, I'll I'll throw it back to you. I mean, I, I said this earlier today, um, and I think you're a little bit more well versed in history than me. Um, but Alan Hahn tweeted yesterday that Steph has to be a top ten player. And, you know, if you don't agree, like, I, I, he doesn't care who you have to kick out of that top 10 list, but you got to kick out somebody. Um, and I'll throw it to you because here's the guys I, I think I, I would at least have a question about. There's guys I think that would put Steph over, but it's more of, um, you know, it, it's tough, right? Uh, I'm finding the tweet right now. Um, but um, yeah, it starts with it starts with um, MJ, LeBron, Kareem, um, Magic, Bird. So yeah, so MJ, LeBron, Kareem, Russell, Magic, Bird. That's five. Um, that's six actually. Yeah. Wilt, Dream, Shaq. Duncan, Kobe, Oscar. You got to take three of these guys out. There's one who I would take out, um, but I, you know, out of respect, I definitely want to keep him in that conversation. There's another who I'm very close to taking out, but after that, it's tough. So I'm, I'm curious to your take. Like, are there three guys who you would take out of that list to, to for, put Steph over? Or is there a guy like, I didn't mention Jerry West because I think Steph clears him at this point, but yeah. Jerry West should be there. You know, Moses Malone, maybe there's some people that would have him there, but I think those are the guys that Steph's in competition with and taking three of them out is tough. Yeah. Um, and if you think Duran is in there, you know, I personally don't, but you know, I don't know Durant to have stuff. That's weird. Durant is kind of um, similar to Shaq in a sense of, like I can't tell you that I've ever seen anyone better at scoring from anywhere as Kevin Durant, and 
he also happens to be good at like everything else and he happens to be just beautiful to watch like 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 no one's stopping him he, no one's stopping him and he's still he's beautiful to watch like some players are successful um some are beautiful and if you're beautiful to watch in that ugly ass Brooklyn jersey I'm saying, like, he, I mean he's played in some busted jerseys okay sees nothing to like either um yeah he played for a fake ass team that moved from a city that by the way deserves a team and was one of my I think in the nineties the the Sonics were my favorite non Knicks team. I yeah, love Sean Kemp. Yep. I was rooting for them against the Bulls after they beat us. Yep, yep. Um shout out to Devil Shrimp. Um, the whole team, Devil Shrimp, Sleepy Sam, who would have aged really well. Yeah. So you mentioned Sam Perkins before. Frank Brikowski, professional Dennis Rodman wrestler. And also like, man, it it's sad how Sean Kemp's career turned out because they wouldn't pay him. Yeah. I would have loved to see him and Peyton get a shot to to play five more years. But anyway, we digress. So I can't put Michael, LeBron, Green, Magic Bird, Russell Wilt are all obviously out of stuff. So for the rest of them, can I put Steph ahead of Oscar Robertson? I that's the first guy I would pick. I could, I could, um, because he 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 did not win a ring, and you know I think that it's worth noting that people like Oscar Robertson, Bill Russell, and Will Chamberlain had to deal with struggles. Everyone talks about level of competition, but especially with Oscar Robertson, um, you know, I, he, he dealt with, I think a level of racism that even other people in his time period didn't. Um, and uh, he became very, um, you know, affected him. Uh, and I think it affected Russell and Wilt obviously too, in different ways, but, um, but end of the day, Oscar never won anything until the end of his career when he played with Kareem, who was in his prime as probably in my estimation, the third best player ever, like Steph has done more than that. Mm-hmm. The hard, yeah, I would put. So good. No, the the hard thing there is that, and I don't know, I don't know how much this this impacts the thinking, but Robertson never played on like the heavy, and Steph has played about half of his career on the heavy, and if Robertson had ended up being drafted by. You know, instead of Rochester or whoever, he gets drafted by um, the Celtics. And, you know, are we then going to see? I I don't know. uh, I feel like Oscar Robertson probably generally played on teams like he's closer to LeBron in the sense that he was a player nobody was better than. Like, nobody was higher than this guy. But he never, he wasn't going to win. I mean, he wasn't going to win anything with those teams. I don't know where to, like, my brain's first thought is like, yes, I can put Steph out of Oscar. I think I can still. Um, I think he's one of the only ones on the list that I that I could consider. But just talking to you about it now made me think of that Oscar and LeBron kind of have a similar thing going. Um, but, I mean, but here's, and I think that, Here's the thing, right? Steph won a championship with this is no disrespect disrespect to Clay Thompson. 
Clay Thompson is worse than the number two on every team MJ, LeBron, and Kobe played with, right? Uh, sorry, that won a championship. So MJ had Scottie Pippen every time he won a championship. Mm-hmm. Kobe had um, Shaquille O'Neal. And then I, I mean, is it fair to say Paul Gasol Paul, Paul, Paul is better than Clay Thompson? I don't think that's controversial at all. It's not a given, but it's not scandalous to say it. I think he was better, and then he also had Lamar Odom. But like that was Steph's <laughs> number two. That was Steph's number two, and he won a title. Um, and LeBron, it's not even a question, right? Like, we can talk about LeBron has had some teams he had to carry, but when he won the title, who did he win it with? He won it with Dwayne Wade, who the first, the, he was the second, the top three players in the league when LeBron signed with Miami were LeBron, Wade, and Kobe. And there are a lot of people who I think were wrong, but there were people who would have said that Wade was the number one out of those three. It wasn't, I think it should have been cut and dry, but to some people it wasn't. Right. Um, so, um, and then, but he's still like, people are like, Steph, Steph hasn't taken over. First of all, the finals MVP in 2015 was such bullshit. Like, look well, at his That's stats. the Iguodala year? Yeah, that was the Iguodala year. And like, like, first of all, the stats bear it out. Steph for his career in the playoffs is like 26, 6, and 6 on... 60% true shooting. Like he's been really Jesus. good in the playoffs. Yeah. The only reason it seems like it's because like in the regular season, he's otherworldly. Mm-hmm. He's been really good in the playoffs. Um, but also that doesn't even account for the fact that if Iguodala is scoring in the finals, why do you think that is? Do you think that's because Iguodala just took Give me Iguodala, Max Kellerman style. Do you think that's what it is? He just had the heart of a chance. Maybe he did. You know, he, he rises the occasions. Or... It's like, um, I, I don't know, Matt, you're not as big a football fan, right? Not as much. Right. So um, one of the greatest accumulation of talent in football has been Tom Brady and Randy Moss being on the same team. And Randy Moss, and Randy Moss is, to my mind, the most, um, the best non-quarterback I've ever seen play the game. Yep. Uh, he ran a 4-2. He was 6-4. He could... Um, he probably had a vertical leap that would rival Michael Jordan's crazy athlete. Really strong, too. He just didn't have to use it because he was so fucking fast. I was still following um, football when he was playing, and like he was. He was that guy. If there was a league um, above the NFL, he would have been an all-star in that league. Yeah, and he, I mean, he was kind of, to what we were saying, he was, I think, in my mind, the shack of the NFL. Yeah, where, yeah that's um, fair. Uh, just in terms of talent, there's no question. Yeah. And even taking it easy at times or not, you know, fully putting it into there, he <laughs> still ended up as a top five receiver all time. Probably in my mind, the second best receiver of all time. But when he played with Tom Brady, he did not finish with the most receiving yards on that team. There was a guy named Wes Welker who was about five foot eleven. Wes Welker. White dude ran great Wayne routes. Wayne Crebet of the Patriots. He's better than Wayne Crubet. Sorry, Jets fans. <laughs> he was a good player, and he produced in other teams. But he had more yards than Randy Moss. So when you use the argument that, well, other people produced more than Steph, Steph didn't score a lot of points, that to me is the same as telling me that Wes Welker did better than Randy Moss because he had more yards. Like, why did Harrell Spoker have yards? Why was Andre Godala getting the hole? 
Why is Draymond to have opportunities? It's because they're sending three fucking guys to Steph, mm-hmm. even when he doesn't have the ball. Um, and that that held true even when he was playing with Kevin Durant, which is not a knock on Kevin Durant. It is saying that when you have a seven foot android who can score the ball at will, and the defense is still worried about this little six three guy, that tells you a lot about the six three guy. Yes, it does. Um, and people still don't get it. So. Can I put Steph ahead of Kobe? All right, my first thought is my first thought is yes. Um, that's my first thought. I was close to doing this, but um, I think there was a good tweet. I I can't find the tweet. In terms of the resume, it's a tough case to make uh, beyond the rings. Uh, first of all, there's one thing that. Kobe had that Steph could never come close to. Kobe was nine-time first first team all defense, um, while always shouldering a crazy load um, on offense. Um, I I think that um so th- I think that that matters, right? I don't think Steph is a bad defender, but if we were to put him in the top ten, he'd pretty comfortably be the worst defender. It'd be between him and Magic probably the worst defender. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he tried harder than Magic, but Magic was 6'9", so that's a little bit easier to manage. Um, in terms of, um, you know, if, if you were to break down their games, and there's the thing. I do wonder what Kobe would have looked like if he did play for Steve Kerr. He played in the triangle, um, but he was isolation heavy. I do wonder if he played in the modern NBA. Like Kobe was smart enough to play an emotion-oriented offense. He had the motor for it. Um, and then if you look at well, what was his best season? Kobe averaged Kobe averaged thirty-five, five and five, on a team where Smush Parker was his number two. True shooting of fifty-six percent. Like this is not a situation where you're talking about a Westbrook type thing where OKC is destroyed and. Westbrook is racking out numbers like 56 true percent true shooting in that time period. 56 true shooting now is like league average, and mm-hmm. for 35 points a game, you'd take that mm-hmm. at that time. That was actually pretty good. Um, so he was efficient. Um, I think he's underrated as a passer, and he was an elite defender, which I think gives him the edge over Steph. Uh, finals MVP doesn't mean as much to me. Mm-hmm. I- I'm gonna leave all MVP mentions out so. Steph has two MVPs to Kobe having one, but that doesn't mean um, any, that doesn't mean anything. Neither of those things mean anything, and both of them got screwed because yeah. Steph should have won it over Iguodala. Obviously, the Finals MVP and Kobe probably should have won it at least once, probably twice over Nash, um, the MVP. Mm-hmm. And Steve Nash is one of my top two or three favorite players of all time. Um, I believe Kobe has made all. NBA more than Steph did. Um, he's made it eleven <laughs> times, and Kobe. And this is, you know, it's fair to the fair argument against it is that, you know, especially with how big he was in China, and you know how much of a cultural icon he was. Maybe that's not a fair comp, but he made it eleven times, first team and All NBA. Steph only made it four times, um, two times All NBA second team. So uh, first and second teams, Kobe's 11, 7 for Steph, uh, which I do think that holds a little bit more weight than an MVP thing because it's a little less subjective. 
more voters um, and it's over a longer sample, uh, as well as the defense, um, that is what gives Kobe the edge to me. And then, yeah, he did uh, rings as the be-all, end-all. I don't get, I, I, I don't agree with. Um, but, like, I have Kobe over Hakeem. And I, I mean, sorry, I have Hakeem over Kobe, and obviously Kobe won more rings. But, um, you know, that at, 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 a, at some point, it does matter, right? Um, and the fact is, like, Steph made five finals, Um there's one where he should have his team should have won and he lost. He blocked he blew a three one lead. Um and then there's another one where there were injuries. So the Raptors won. I thought he actually had a very underrated performance. But he has lost. Um and it's not to say that's that Kobe has never like Kobe had Shaq, Carl Malone, who was not prime Carl Malone, but still pretty good, as well as Gary Payton. Again, not prime Gary Payton, right. but still pretty good. And he lost a series in five games. So that's not, you know, all players have these kind of series. But overall, I still have to give the edge to Kobe. But, you know, Steph could catch him. Yeah, I think Steph could catch Kobe. Um, I think in the same vein, I could see Steph going ahead of Tim Duncan. Maybe not if he retires, you know, at the end of the series. But if Steph has like three more like Steph years, I could consider him over Duncan. Uh, Do you think Duncan, would you take Duncan over, would you take Duncan over Kobe? Like I, on this, I, like ranking on this list? Yeah, I go back and forth on that. but I would take, um, wow, that was actually very tough. Um, I would take Kobe because I have a bias toward um, when when you when you're ranking play like in uh, hockey, Martin Brodeur was a double goalie for a long, long time. Great player, Rangers beat him a lot, but he was a great player. Um, but for a long time, he was in a system that was like like he was perfect in that system and dominant in that system. But it was a system. It was. You know, if you do this and everyone else does this, you'll be okay. A few years after Rodor kind of hit the consciousness of hockey fans, uh, Dominic Hasek came into the league, played for the Sabres. He was the most brilliant goalie I've ever seen in terms of athleticism, of like of an athlete, a brilliant athlete. You can see as playing goaltender um, and was not the beneficiary of a system that m- minimized um, his level of difficulty and his exposure, like he was basically out there on his own and he made it work. The reason I take Kobe over Duncan um, is is strictly because I think you, you can't go wrong either way. You, you want to pick Duncan, that's a totally reasonable. Duncan is one of the guys that I think, depending on your taste, could go, could roam around the back half of this um, top 13, like in any position. Um, but I think for me, because Kobe by choice and sometimes to his detriment, um, insisted on basically like free balling everything. Um, I think he took on a greater degree of difficulty. Um, they performed, you know, similarly in a lot of ways, but I think, and you could make the argument against Kobe, um, that Kobe cost himself in some ways, 
Um, and and there, there's some spots on his record, um, basketball related, not even talking about um, stuff off the court. But like you could you could say Kobe, you could say Duncan, both are, are reasonable. But I think I could take Steph. I would take Kobe ahead of Duncan because I think Kobe did as much from a higher degree of difficulty. Yeah, I think that's a fair. I don't think it was always a higher. I think, first of all, on the first three title teams, I don't think there is a question about who the main guy was. That does bother me when people are like, well, Shaq won because of Kobe. It's like, oh, come on. <laughs> um, but it's probably unfair to say Kobe only won because of Shaq. Like, without Kobe, it's Pippen. Like, he was, I would say he was more instrumental to them winning the title than Pippen was to the Bulls winning the title. And that's not to say Pippen wasn't instrumental. It's just that Kobe was really important, but he wasn't the most important person. <laughs> but he won twice with Gasol. Uh, and to be honest, I think at least one of those years, they weren't better than Boston. And they won because Kobe was, even if he shot six for 24, um, you know, was opening things up for other guys. He was defending at a high level. Um, so, yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. And then can I take um, Steph over Shaq? Um, I wouldn't, but, you know. I think you can. <laughs> Again, the reason I think I have Shaq, like I can see Shaq is above Duncan and Kobe to me, is because with those guys, I feel like give Steph three more years and you can make the argument he's better. With Shaq, I feel like if Steph had three more great years, that allows you to ask the question and not look ridiculous. But at this point, again, if, if Shaq is somehow... In my lifetime, I have never seen a player, I think, grow, shrink in people's... I guess this is what happens, or you just think it in certain cases. I feel like Shaq is sometimes underrated somehow by people. Um, maybe people who didn't watch him play, and all they know is that he couldn't shoot free throws, and all he did was dunk, which isn't true. Um, but I could... Steph needs still to go a ways for me to put him... Ahead of Shaq. Yeah, and I mean, like, I'll ask you this. 2000-2002, especially in the playoffs, what player in and Like, I'm taking that version of Shaquille O'Neal over Michael Jordan. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think there's a single player in NBA history that's stopping that person. No. Uh, I had someone try to argue with me today that Wilt could have stopped him. He also tried to argue that Bill Russell could have matched him. Bill Russell was 216 pounds. Yeah. I don't think that is remotely uh, a logical argument. That's not a knock on Bill Russell, but um, you know, I understand a lot of there's mythical kind of feelings attached to Wilt. I understand Kareem was great. I understand that Hakeem went toe to toe with Shaq and, and got the better of him in one series when Shaq was 23. That version of Shaq, I'm not putting anyone else over. The fact that I can't, that I'm saying that he's not number one despite that, isn't in self kind of a concession. Yeah. But, um, you know, Steph has been the best player in the league. He's, I don't think Steph at any point in his career has reached the level of dominance that Shaq had. And it was only three years. 
you know, there's many what ifs, but but we also we neglect the fact that like Shaq was the third best player in the league when he had, there was MJ Hakeem by 23, he was the third best player in that league. I mean, that's fair to say, right? He made the finals, Absolutely. and I think he like in the finals, it wasn't his fault he's lost. Like he had a good series. If you had asked people before the finals, top three players in the league, Shaq would have been two. Yeah, exactly. He would have been ahead of Kakim, and it wasn't his fault they lost. No. They lost. Nick Anderson was awful. Nick Anderson and Dennis Scott were not good that series, and that happens. Like I'm not. I mean, Dennis Scott in today's game would have been fun. So I'm not. I'm not trying to rip some of these guys, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it wasn't Shaq's. It wasn't Penny's fault either, by the way. Um, and I mean, I think the the easy narrative is to say, you know, Shaq had Penny and Akeem had, you know, past his prime, quite Drexler, and he still won. You watch that series, like Shaq went toe to toe with him. So even if he was number three, he was number three to two top ten players of all time, and that was him at twenty three. That was not him close to his peak. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a fair debate, an interesting debate with Shaq is like, would he have been better off being Orlando Shaq or gaining the weight he did? Uh, obviously, it worked out, um, but you know who knows if he played today. Is there a version of Shaq that ends up like a version like Giannis on steroids, you know, um, where he plays more of that perimeter game? Like, I mean, Shaq was so good of a ball handler. I wonder if today somebody would have given him like Jokic or Embiid or um, Zion or Zion or one of those guys or, or Giannis, right? If they gave him the responsibility they had from the perimeter, um. Or maybe maybe they wouldn't have. Maybe they would have said, "You're Shaquille O'Neal. There is nobody. Once you go into the paint, there's nobody who's going to be like, I'm here first. You're going to have to foul. Like you're just going to move them, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe that would have been the case because he was that ridiculous. And and, and M- even Embiid does that a lot. But um, in terms of in terms of talent and in terms of what he could do when he was fully engaged, um, and that's. But but Steph and Steph has those kind of outlier qualities too. Um, with Shaq, it's always been you know why weren't you in, in why weren't you Shaq, why weren't you Hakeem on defense why weren't you Kareem on offense why weren't you um, Magic Johnson as a passer even though he was a really good passer why weren't you just the greatest thing you've ever seen he gets penalized for that because people are like yeah. it he was a top 10 player in all of all time and he's still underachieved like he gets penalized for that but um that doesn't mean what he was wasn't like i don't think that should affect your if you're disappointed in Shaq for whatever reason i don't think that affect that should affect how you grade him Shaq to me is in the example of what i was afraid would happen for lebron um when the year that that 03 draft I was telling everyone I knew that I would take Carmelo number one because I felt like there was so much pressure on LeBron that if LeBron had turned out to be like Paul Pierce, which is an incredible player, like incredible player, top 1% of NBA success stories, he would be a failure. There was so much pressure on him to be, and he delivered, you know, thankfully, um, Shaq to me is, it's rare. Um, people have said it about Ewing also, that you know, when when the Knicks won the lottery for Patrick Ewing, people were talking Bill Russell. Like, the expectation was, holy crap, like, the Knicks got that guy. Um, 
and then his knees started to go very, very quickly. You know, I don't know, man. Yeah, but um, in any case, I would probably put Steph at about 11 or 12 all time. Um, yeah, and if that, he has a that couple is... more good years, maybe you would move him up. Yeah, I mean, I think he has a chance to pass Tim Duncan. Um, I think in terms of the two-way dominance, it's it would take a lot for me to put him out of Kobe. Um, but I'll 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 end that thought on this. Like, this would be an incredibly if he was somehow able to pull this out for Golden State. And to be clear, it would be him pulling out because yeah. Clay is. Like he can still shoot. He's probably going to have a great game for at least once for the rest of the series, but he's not Clay Thompson. Draymond Green has basically turned into Frank Nalikina on offense. <laughs> uh, that's I'm not. Uh, that might actually be an insult to Frank Nalikina because Draymond Green is doing nothing on offense. It's sad to watch, and yeah. maybe maybe he'll figure it out if he can give them something more. But it's not just the shots, like even the passing and, and pushing the ball and the aggression that, like he he even when he was taking three shots a game, he was adding a lot to their offense. Yeah. There's been none of that, um, and not you know, and I, I you know, so maybe he'll add that. But right now, it really is Steph and it's Wiggins and Jordan Poole and and then Looney providing defense, and that's kind of it. Like it's incredible they're tied with a team as complete and deep as Boston. Um, and then two of those guys that I just mentioned, you can't play you can't play Steph and Poole together. So if Steph, if they were to win this series, that would be that would be up there with LeBron beating this very this Golden State team wow. after they won 73 games in terms of how impressive it was. Um, it would be up there with Dirk beating the Heatles. It would be up there with um, you know most of Jordan's wins, um, it would be an incredibly impressive win and um, change the conversation, I think, around, around Steph a lot, um, both in ways that are overdue and both are in ways that uh, maybe we hadn't, uh, maybe are new. Jumping ship from the present to the future, what's happened to Stacy's draft brain and come in a spirit of humility and say, Stacy, I don't really know shit about, I think it's pronounced Usman Dieng. Um, I have started to read and see some stuff about him. He sounds in the abstract very interesting. Um, can you tell us what stands out to you about this particular player? And I don't know if I care right now what the fit is on the Knicks. I feel like they're probably going to draft the best player available. Um, is he well? Forget that man. Tell us what you think of Ding. Yeah, I mean, I think he's super interesting. Um, before I start, I'm going to say the person, certainly on Nick's Twitter, maybe on Draft Twitter, maybe outside of any NBA front office that knows the most about Usman. Or sorry, I'm sure his coaches and but one person who I'm sure you're all familiar with who knows. Everything you could possibly want to know about Usman Dieng within reason is Presidente. And he wrote 
this is actually my favorite draft piece of the entire cycle um of any pro on any prospect just in it's really i mean prez is a terrific writer incredible attention to detail um just terrific knowledge of the game and prospects and how to think about this stuff and um you know if prez has ever been in your dms you know that he hyper he swims in deep waters sometimes when it's 10 30 in the morning and you haven't had your coffee yet and you're in a meeting and you're like what do you think about the wrist flick on this prospect's jump shot? So <laughs> Press is on another level with all of this. Um, and he wrote a great piece on Usman Dieng uh, for the Strickland, which I highly recommend everyone reads. All right, so what's kind of the long and short? He's six foot ten. He has ball handling abilities. He can get to. He can create space and get to his pull up whenever he wants. Doesn't get to the rim a ton, but he's shown the ability to do that and finish over length. Has a nice floater game. Defense is a work in progress, but he's like with his he's six ten. He has a seven foot two wingspan or so. So ideal wing proportions. So these are the kind of like when you talk about these you know crazy initiators. I'm not gonna use Giannis as a name, but I don't think I have to stretch too much to tell you what that fully realized person looks like. Um. But he's a very good passer. He They put him in pick and roll all the time. Um, he started his season with very, very poor productivity numbers. He shot the ball terribly. But towards the end of the season, his jumper came along. Um, and as Prez notes, there's a lot of reason for optimism with this jumper. Um, you know, the, the numbers weren't good, but the form is pretty good. He can create space pretty easily. He can get to that pull-up and get space for a good pull up a lot, you know, pretty easily. The big thing with him seems to be strength, but he's also, he's about 210 at 610, um, which is not, which is skinny, but, um, you know, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not bad. Um, his free throw percentage was about 80%, right? So a lot of people will take that over three point percentage. Famously, um, you know, if you've watched Tyrese Maxey, he was, you know, been great. He was a 27% three-point shooter in college, um, but he was an 80% free throw shooter, and that ended up being the more indicative number. Um, so there's a reason to buy this shot, um, and what he is is a, he's a skinny, super long, tall ball handler who's only 18 years old who has produced a, you know, a, in Australia against pros. Um and who has some defensive switchability and, you know, work to do, but by no means is he bad on defense, right? Like there's, there's lapses, but the ability to be an impact defender, these are, these hit on a lot of the things the Knicks need, right? It depends on what kind of you you want the Knicks to do. So what are the big, in my opinion, the Knicks big needs are what they can't get on the open market. We paid $18 million for Evan Fournier. I don't want to rip Evan Fournier. I think he's a good player. But Evan Fournier getting you... like To put it in this perspective, Jared Allen makes $20 million a year. Uh, Evan Fournier makes $18 million a year. Evan Fournier is very close... Is probably an average wing. Um, that's not a knock on him. Just there's a lot of good wings. Jared Allen is probably a top five center. And yet they make the same amount. That just shows you like how much just wings like it's tough to find talent there and even when you pay 18 to 20 million dollars you're probably not going to get 
a, th- a guy who's good at who's an elite three and D guy. This is, by the way, part of what makes Quentin Grimes so interesting. You're probably going to get someone who's good at one of those things and bad at the other, or maybe elite or good at one of those things and average at the other, or elite. Like Evan Fournier is is really an elite shooter, <laughs> obviously bad at the other thing. So um, finding those kind of wings is tough. That's without considering the fact that Usman Dieng might have the upside to be more. When you look at his ball handling, when you look at his passing, um, when you look at his ability to run, pick, and roll at 6'10", <laughs> it's the, the downside is he's not going to, like what this Knicks front office has liked. There's every single player the Knicks have drafted has been ready to contribute year one. Uh, Obi Toppin took a little bit of time. But he had, I mean, I don't know if uh, I imagine you watched, but I was at game two last year in the playoffs. We're not winning that game without Obi Toppin. And to this day, I've been to probably 50 games in Madison Square Garden. I've never heard it louder. And I think it was probably 80% of capacity because of COVID still coming out of it. I have never heard the garden louder than when Obi Toppin put the alley-oop that forced out Atlanta call a timeout in game two of the finals last year. Uh, and that was 100% because he ran the full... Like, first of all, that whole possession is, like, if you're in this Obi Toppin, like, he switched three times that possession um, onto Herder, onto Collins, onto Capella, um, helped them get the rebound, ran his ass off, and Burks found him for the alley-oop. Um, that was incredible. Um, but, um, you know, getting back to the end... It's it's just the skill set that you're like, when do you find someone like that? And maybe he doesn't hit, but I also think the floor is reasonably like his biggest weakness is strength, you know, as weird as that is to say. Um, he needs to gain weight, and he's probably not gonna be a year one contributor, right? So Obi contributed in the playoff series, quickly was obviously a rotation player in year one and, and a pretty important player. Um you know, Grimes was a contributor year one. Sims played very important minutes. Uh, or at least, you know, he was a rotation player by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only player they haven't draft they've drafted who hasn't been a year one contributor is the one who didn't play. Like, I mean, it was Rokas Yukubaitis. Like even Deuce, you know, he got minutes and he was a positive impact player. So they tend to like guys with a projectable outcome. And Dieng probably isn't that because he needs to gain strength. He's not ready to do the things he's best at at the NBA level yet. And the things that are his ancillary skills, like team defense with his length, are also probably a work in progress. But the Knicks are also in a position where they're like, you have seven or eight, like uh, two years ago when Leon Rose took over, I I really get the idea that they probably needed to be like, we need to make sure that we get guys that come in and can at least be rotation players. We need to add guys on rookie contracts that can contribute because we had none. Yeah. We got Knox and Frank and Mitch. One of those guys is a good player and, and coming up by, well, he was two years away. So but Mitch was the only really young guy on a rookie deal that was a contributor. Um, I like Frank and I think he's turned into a solid rotation player. I'm not going to, I actually think he has. And I think that the Knicks losing him wasn't necessarily an indictment in them as much as they had developed a lot of young, or they had acquired a lot of wing talent. But he's a solid player, but he wasn't remote. He wasn't, you know, some kind of sure thing. And then you had Knox, who to this day hasn't established himself as a quality rotation player in the NBA. So um, they needed to hit on a pick there. 
Uh, and they needed to hit on picks last year because they only had really quickly, and even Toppin wasn't a sure thing last year. Now you have seven or eight of these guys. Um, and this is where you start to think Usman Dieng may not contribute for a year or two. He might even look ridiculous if you give him playing minutes, right? It's like, you know, um, and there's he gets he keeps getting mocked to Oklahoma City because these are the kinds of guys they've targeted. You know, they drafted Alexei Pokusevsky, right. who, um, who, by the way, did improve last year quite a bit. Yeah, so I'm very, he's a guy I'm interested to see how he looks third year because his first year in the league, he didn't look like he belonged yeah. in the United States <laughs> playing, like not even in the G League. Um, but last year he was competent, bad, but competent. It'd be interesting to see how he develops, but Dieng would fit that profile. And I think Dieng is bigger and probably a little more polished than Pogoshevsky was coming into the league. But as a guy who like you're betting on that upside that might be two years away, um, you're, you're picking a guy that's two years away from like, now I'm really paying attention. Um, maybe a year away from some of the more optimistic projections, but the Knicks are in a place where that might be worth it because you can draft, if you draft another role player, okay, you have another role player who's on a rookie deal. That's good value, but it's not moving the needle. Like it's not getting us to, it's not the big, like ultimately we need to, we need to acquire a star either by trading or, um, or free agency, which isn't really an option. Um, or developing someone to the draft. And if you think that you can acquire a guy in the draft who's a role player, but good enough that it moves the needle on some kind of trade for a Donovan Mitchell or a Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns or whoever, fine. But um, barring that, I think you really got to take a swing for, because the thing is like, we like as much as we love the Knicks young guys, like around the league, their trade value may not be that high because there is no proven star. Right. Um, not even R.J. Barrett, who might get there one day. I think there's certainly reason to believe he would, and there's reason to believe quickly would, but none of these guys is a proven guy on the level of like a John Morant. So at some point, you need to take a swing on one of, to get one of those. Either that's in the draft, either it's in free agency, but Dieng is very much in that mold where if you're thinking long-term of what, like, you know, having the prospect of a 6'10 guy who can run the pick and roll, score at three levels and switch on defense, you know, uh, that's something they don't have. And, and he would bring it. What position? I mean, th- those are all things they don't have. And he would bring multiple. Yeah. 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 Um, if he's 66, 10, but he's like 18. So he can certainly still grow like another inch. What position positions would you see him being able to defend, um, you know, by the end of his rookie deal? Is he someone that can, if he plays for you, Ideally, one day, are you looking at this is like a, a 0.5 or would he be a, a 4 or is he athletic enough at 6, 10, 6, 11 to play 3? Um, like where, where would he actually fit in in that sense? Yeah, I mean, the fives who are ball handlers, um, I don't see him in that mold. Um, so the fives who are ball handlers were Nikola Jokic, who I think came into the league similar size i think he shaped you know got into better shape but he was he was a big guy who just knew how to like handle the ball like that um and beat is similar in that vein um bam would be the closer analog but 
Um, Bam's a lot stronger, and Bam was a lot stronger coming in than DM Dieng. Bam's also probably a better vertical athlete. He's a better vertical athlete. I don't see Dieng being a five. I see him being more of a four or three. Um, Brandon Ingram is a name that gets brought up a lot. So something like Brandon Ingram, who is also, I think Brandon Ingram is a little underrated as a passer and decision maker. Uh, I would see him more along those lines. And like on defense, who does he guard? Like if everything goes well, one through four, if things don't go like the, on the lower end, um, you know, this is a comp I bring up for a lot of guys. It's like people talk about switchability, but like we don't talk about the situation where you're like a decent defender at guarding fours, you're decent at guarding threes, and you're decent at guarding twos. Most of the time when you talk about switchability, you talk about a guy like Marcus Smart who is like elite at guarding ones, but he can guard threes, right? Or you're talking about um, a guy like um, you know Kawhi who's elite at guarding threes but can also guard ones. What about a guy who's just like, in, like not that in, not that great at any of them? But he because he's versatile. The fact that he gives you lineup versatility in itself is something. Mm-hmm. Alec Burks kind of fits that because he can guard one to three all at a somewhat decent level. The one that always comes to mind to me is Wilson Chandler because he was always reputed as this versatile defender, mm-hmm. and individually you'd ne- like if I had to name games where Wilson Chandler like locked up some dude. I'd be tough to, I'd be hard pressed, but mm-hmm. I've seen him guard a whole bunch of dudes and you could play him. I mean, Matt, you smirked. So maybe there's, there's a game I'm missing, but, um, no, no, just... you know, I saw, him, I saw Wilson Chandler guard a bunch of dudes at like a decent level and that has value too. So like, that's kind of the lower end of Dieng. I do think he can be an impact defender. And like the high end of that is like, what we would expect Brandon Ingram to be if he was fully engaged a lot. Um, on defense and, and on offense, yeah, like I think the high end is something like Brandon Ingram. <coughs> Sorry, I was smiling when you mentioned Wilson Chandler first because, like, he just always makes me happy. Like, Wilson Chandler is <coughs> my Nick Edgardo Alfonso, he's just someone I rationally like. And because he never smiled though, incidentally, <laughs> and you're right, also, that he was it was he was curious, like. You knew he was a good defender, um, and if there were if there were more if there were analytics at that time, they really weren't uh, when he when he was with the Knicks. Certainly, maybe there would have been more stats to, to back that up. But he was this guy that like he, you knew that he had an impact. But like you're saying, he didn't have Iman Shumpert had more memorable games and defensive sequences as a Knicks than Wilson Chandler did. Um, but Wilson Chandler was a good defender. It's interesting. It's kind of it's mysterious to think about. This great defender who leaves like no, doesn't even leave a, a corpse behind. Yeah, can you be a great defender without being locked down in any given circumstance? I think yeah, I maybe think great is too strong a word, but like yeah, like it's the versatility itself. Even if you're not great at any, like jack of all trades versus master yeah, one, right? Yeah, I mean, and given the way that, maybe not so much now, but I still feel like. You you can be more appreciated for one dimensional quality, especially if that quality is scoring, than if you are like Gordon Hayward. To me, is always who I kind of hoped, statistically at least, R.J. Barrett would become. And Hayward to me is that kind of a player. Yeah, and and I mean, especially in the playoffs, like you know, you could be you could be Pat Bev, but 
if you switch Pat Bev on to Nikola Jokic, that's not going to work out well for you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you switch Pat Bev on to Luka Doncic, that's not going to work out that well for you. So, um, whereas Wilson Chandler is not going to lock up someone the way Pat Bev would, but you can switch him onto all these guys and survive. Like, he's not going to get played off the floor. Yeah. So, I think Dien can be that, and he has a, a massive ceiling. And he could, I think that's kind of a floor. I think he can actually be a lot more on defense, but um, it's really the ball handling, passing, and kind of space creation ability at his size is what's really intriguing. Am I correct that a team can draft a player and then trade his rights as part of a deal when free agency begins, right? Or do those deals have to... Like, I'm a little confused because I feel like yeah, I believe that's what happened with um, with Andrew Wiggins. So he was drafted by Cleveland when he got traded for Kevin Love. Hmm. That offseason. So. All right. I'm, uh, I have an idea. I have to still brainstorm. Um, well, what, what would the trade you were suggesting be? I don't even remember now who we were talking about. Who were we, who were we talking about? Dang. Yes. Um, I didn't have a specific trade in mind. I keep trying to work out something in my brain that gets the Knicks with two, like, I want the Charlotte picks. I think they're 13 and 15. And I want to figure out how maybe a combination of signing and trading Mitch plus... Yeah, we can't do that. 11. We The, the way the Knicks would be able to do that is uh, if, A... Either telling Charlotte that, or a like not making that deal and just being happy with whoever Charlotte picked, or um, telling Charlotte, wink, wink, pick these two guys, and we'll make this trade, which the NBA has cracked down on of late. Um, mm-hmm. So that's where it becomes a little bit dicey. Damn it! Well, what would have been your trade though? <clears throat> I honestly hadn't thought out that part of it. I just, I when I I was beginning to think of being as a no longer an abstract, you know, like you know, no longer an abstract value for what this this eleventh pick might get you. Um, more like what people might make of him himself, and I'm I'm trying to figure out. Like it was a little, yeah, and, uh... yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think that I would personally take him at 11. Like, I think that there's three guys I think that are very no-brainer. If they're there, the Knicks should take them. Um, And I think they would take them. Not not should, would take them. Uh, That's, I think, Davis, Matherin, and A.J. Griffin. Uh, Not in that order, I think. I think ultimately A.J. Griffin would be the guy they would take. Like, if he's there, they're not no doubt about it. Davis is a very close second, and I think Matherin would be third, but I think they love all three of those guys, and there's reason to do that, because all three have ability to really raise your team's level. Um, in my opinion, Eason should be there. Uh, Tar Eason. There's been reports out of the draft uh, workout process that um, and, you know, it, it is unfortunate when you're talking about um, young black draft prospects being dissected by a bunch of suits, but mm-hmm. 
for whatever reason in his interviews, you know, his um, understanding of the game is being questioned. Uh, firstly, I didn't. I thought that he had a fourteen point seven BPM. That doesn't happen if you're dumb. But you know, these are what's coming out, and if for whatever reason that affects how the Knicks view him, maybe that's not where he ends up getting drafted. So if those guys are gone, um, it's either take a swing on Diang or you go with you know someone like Jalen Duran, um, which is a strategy I'm not in favor of. But you know, there I will say this right, like I don't want the Knicks to draft a big, but you know, Bam Adebayo went 14th. Um, despite showing very little of what he ended up showing in the pros at Kentucky, because Kentucky just doesn't give you that freedom because of how much talent there is, Um, you know, and for positional value, a wing might've been better, but you know, like um, that draft, we took Frank who ended up being a wing, but you know, would you have taken a wing who was solid over Bam? No. Right. So that matters. But um, you know, like, if they didn't, if if you know, Matherin, Johnny, and AJ were gone, like it's between Eason and Diang to me. And if they're not in Eason, then I think it becomes very easy, um, no pun intended, um, to just <laughs> take Diang, who prob- who might have, as far as ceilings, that might be a top five in this class, you know. So. Mm-hmm. That's going to be it for this episode, but I want to talk next time more about A.J. Griffin because he is one of the players whose story and whose potential pro... He's from White Plains, New York, man. That's that's my neighborhood. Oh, okay. So I'm all about Went that. So. Favor, but I want to talk about A.J. Griffin next time because um, I think he's an interesting piece to consider, particularly in light of where the Knicks stand right now as a as a franchise. Um, so hold on for that. Guess what? You can now find us on Twitter. We have a Twitter. It is at Believe Nicks, B L E A V Nicks. Right now, only Stacy and I are members of this exclusive club, but please feel free to join and make it less exclusive. Um, yeah, that's all for today's episode. Thank you, everybody. See you. The great, the great Yogi Berra once said, "I wouldn't ever want a club that wanted me because they can't be that exclusive." But this ain't that type of club, so you should join. <laughs> so there you go. Yogi said it. That's all for now. We will see you next time. Au revoir. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.